This morning's reading is from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. It can be found on page 1002 in the Pew Bibles. Again, that is Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. I will be reading from the New King James Version. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we shall also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now been received the reconciliation. Good morning. Um, what a blessing it is to be here this morning. Um, what a blessing it is to gather with so many Christians, and this is just half of us. What a blessing it is to be able to praise a God who loves us and a God who cares about where we spend eternity. It's a blessing to be a Christian. It's a good thing to be a Christian. And I'm so glad that we're all here together, um, being accountable with each other, encouraging one another in songs. Um, I've been encouraged so much this summer. I can't tell you enough. I want to pause for just a second before we get started. And thank you, guys. I came here about nine weeks ago, and now I feel like I'm a part of the family. As soon as I came, people were inviting me to their house. Hey, I want to cook dinner for you. Hey, I want you to meet my grandmother. Hey, I want you to meet this person. And immediately I was plugged in. I, I've been overwhelmed with kindness. I've been overwhelmed with Christian love since I've been here. And so I, I just want to say thank you because I don't know what else to say. Um, I'm not the dynamite speaker. I'm not the dynamite preacher that David Shannon is. And so if you were hoping for that this morning, I hope I don't let you down. See, my, my aptitudes or my skills in ministry, I was telling some of the high school guys, um, it involves more of things like wrestling in the pool and ping pong and stuff like that. It's definitely aimed at youth ministry, not so much preaching. Um, but I'm going to do my best, and I hope that you guys pay attention because I, I've, been, I've been worried and I've been very anxious about preaching and um, I've been praying to God, will you comfort me? Will you give me comfort? When it's time to preach, will you give me comfort? And it's amazing how God works. I was sitting there and we're singing the song right before I came up here. And I had the realization, it doesn't matter if I'm a dynamite speaker. It doesn't matter if I'm the best preacher there ever was. Um, it matters if I preach from the Bible. Because even if my skills are not that great, as long as if I preach from the Bible, we're doing something good here. So if you will, keep your finger, if you're already open to Romans chapter 5, keep your finger there. And I'm just going to read verse 6 for you. This time it will be out of the ESV. Um, the message is still the same. Romans 5 verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. The version that was read earlier, I think it was the New King James, said, In due time Christ came and died for the ungodly. Have you ever wondered why did Jesus choose the time in which he came to come to earth? 
of all the, the centuries that Jesus could have come, he could have waited to come now and been the Messiah now. But why did he choose 2,000 years ago? Or why was he sent 2,000 years ago? Have you ever wondered that question? Well, there's a few options that I come across in my study. The first of which, um, all of them are valid. All of them have some truth to them. The first of which is that the world was united by language. And the time that Jesus came, um, if you will remember back to Genesis 11, the people in the earth were trying to build a tower that goes up to God. And so what did God do? He tore the tower down and he gave them all different languages. And so they couldn't communicate with one another. And until the time of Jesus in the Roman Empire, the known world had been conquered and everybody spoke Greek. And so it made sense for Jesus and for Paul and the people after them. They were able to speak to people easier. Okay, the second thing also involves the Roman Empire, and that's the roadways. Okay, when Paul, right after Jesus, when he was traveling to preach the gospel, these roadways made it much easier for him. This is a picture of the Via Ignatia, and it went all across Rome through Philippi, through all the cities that you read about in the Bible. The third reason why Jesus might have, this might be why Jesus came at the time he did, was to fulfill prophecy. In Jeremiah 31, 15, you'll find that there's a prophecy that in the time the Messiah is born, there's going to be a great massacre of children. And what do you know to be true? In Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 and 18, it talks about Herod. And Herod is trying to kill all the babies because he hears that Jesus is supposed to be some great king, and he's jealous of him. And so Herod tries to kill him. And these next verses that are going to come up, they come from Psalm chapter 22. They come from mostly in Isaiah. And these are all prophecies about the crucifixion of Jesus. Not a bone in his body would be broken. My hands and my feet have been pierced. My side has been pierced. Mixture of water and blood. All of these things are very specific and a, a, a very defined illustration. And it's, it's very specific as to the way that the Messiah would die. Okay, and what do we know in the New Testament? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them have accounts of Jesus' crucifixion. And all of them coincide exactly with what, the, with what the prophecies were. And I'm not saying that Jesus couldn't have been crucified at another time in the history of our earth, but... The time that Jesus did come, it was very common. That was the, that was the way that the Romans, uh, that was the way they got rid of people, was they crucified them. Okay, the fourth one is really the one that I want to hound on this morning. So far, I've just kind of been given a background story, but this is where I really want to spend our time. I want to give a brief history lesson of the page that's in between Malachi and Matthew. Okay? Because when you finish up the Old Testament and you flip one page over and you open up to Matthew, so many things have changed. In the Old Testament, you're reading about the, the Babylonians and the Persians, but all of a sudden in the New Testament, who are these Roman guys? Who is Herod? What is a synagogue? Who are the Pharisees? Who are the Sadducees? None of that, none of that stuff was in the Old Testament. Now all of a sudden in the New Testament, it's there. And so I want to give a brief history lesson about what happened. Okay, to start off... You might have heard of this guy. His name is Alexander the Great. He was born in 356 B.C., and by the time he was 32 years old, he had conquered the known world. The Macedonian kingdom, he spread the language of Greek, 
And apparently he had great hair while doing it. Anyway. <laughs> then in 323 BC, Alexander got sick, okay? And he died. Now here's the question. What is he going to do with this massive kingdom that he's, he's raised on this earth? What are they going to do with it? Well, they took his top generals and they said, you'll get this section of land and you'll get this section of land and you'll get this section of land and they broke it up. And the two main generals that I want to talk about are the two kingdoms that came of it are the Ptolemies, which are in Egypt. They're sort of in the south. And the Seleucids, which are in the north in Syria. And you may be thinking, Daniel, what in the world does this have to do with why Jesus came to earth at the time that he did? Well, do you see where the green and the red meet right there on the shore? That's Israel. Okay? And when these generals were given their land, you might think, okay, well, they're just going to hill rule here and hill rule there, but that's not how it worked out. They all wanted to be great, just like Alexander. And so they all started fighting each other, trying to get more and more land. They wanted to build their kingdom. They didn't care about the kingdom that was before them. And where did all those battles happen? Right there in Israel. And so there were five different wars that happened between these two kingdoms, and they all happened mostly on the soil of Israel. So for 75 years, for 75 years between the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was constant battle. There was constant strife. People were dying around the Israelites. The land changed hands multiple times. Their leaders changed. They didn't know what their identity was. And moving on from this, in 167 B.C., on top of all the change that they're having to deal with, a guy, I can't pronounce his name, Antiochus Epiphanes, I think, the fourth, he was a part of the Seleucid kingdom, and he came into Jerusalem and he plundered the temple. He did this multiple times. He took the gold, and on top of that, as an act of hatred toward the Israelites and towards the Jews, he offered a female pig on the altar. And if you know anything about the Old Testament and the sacrifices that they're supposed to do as Jews, this went against everything they'd ever been taught. It defiled the altar. It took away the purity of the altar. The altar was the way that they connected to God. It was their exact route to connect to God. It was their way that God would forgive their sins. And this guy comes in and he defiles it. He takes away the purity. And then to rub salt in the wounds, he builds a tower. He builds a statue in honor of, in honor of Zeus, right there where the, where the altar used to be. So think about where the Israelite people are right now. Okay? Their land has been taken from them. They've switched hands multiple times. Different rulers, they don't know who they are. They don't know who they're supposed to serve. The way that they're supposed to talk to God has been taken away from them. It's been defiled. Who are we? What are we going to do? And the worst part about it is, throughout all this time, throughout all this strife and all this struggle, God remains silent. For 440 years between the time of the Old Testament and the time that Jesus came, there was no prophet. There was no revelation from God that told the Israelites what they were supposed to do. There was no man that came and comforted them and told them exactly why God is doing this and exactly what they need to do to fix it. 
that wasn't there. And you may be thinking, Daniel, okay, that's cool. Um, but what does that have to do with me? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been desperate? Have you ever struggled to find your identity? Have you ever felt like you're trying so hard, but you just don't know where to go? You just don't know what God is trying to tell you. Have you ever felt like there's a void in your life? There's a hole in your life, and you've tried to fill it before. Maybe you've tried the use of substances. Maybe you've tried to rise to the top in your occupation to fill that hole. Maybe you've tried to fill that hole with family, which is a good thing. Maybe you've tried to fill that hole with popularity. And as you're struggling to fill that gap in your life and that void in your life, maybe you feel like God's been silent. And you're trying your best, but you feel like God has not been there for you. To tell you the truth, I don't know exactly why Jesus came at the time he did. That's part of what makes God, God. Only he knows. But will you consider this morning that maybe Jesus came at the time he did because the people were willing to listen? They had been beat down for so long and they didn't know who they were and God had been silent for so long that when somebody came along and claimed to be the Messiah and claimed to be the Son of God and did all these mighty works, it's not going to fall on deaf ears. These people are going to listen. And maybe in your life you're feeling like you're trying all these things and God's not there and God's not talking, God's silent. But let me tell you, God's already spoken. He's spoken in His Word. Will you listen to it this morning? Will you listen to God this morning? Turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. To set the stage here a little bit, Jesus and his disciples are going through Samaria. And if we know anything about the Israelites and Samaria, they don't like each other. I mean, this is like an Alabama-Auburn on steroids kind of thing. They don't like each other at all. And if you know anything about their day and age, men and women were not viewed as equal. Men were supposed to be superior and stronger and greater than women. But as Jesus is passing through Samaria, he stops at a well, and he starts talking to not only a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. And the story goes, well, it's not a story, I shouldn't say that because it's truth. But Jesus goes on and he talks to her and he offers her, he offers her the living water. And he says, <clears throat> he says, starting in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And it goes on and Jesus tells her, go and get your husband. Tell him to come here. And she responds, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the one that you're with right now, he's not your husband. Okay, this sparked her interest. She's like, how'd you know that? How in the world did this guy that I just met at the well, how did he know my whole life? 
And going on down, this is what's on the screen, starting in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? See, when this woman encountered Christ, she considered all the things that he said, all the things that he taught, she had to consider, could this be the Christ? Will you consider this morning? Flip over a few more pages to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Here Jesus is almost giving a, a, last, a last words speech. He knows that his time is coming soon and he's talking to his disciples. Starting in verse 1, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to a, that I go, would I not have told you that I go to prepare, prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am going you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are two things that I want to point out and there are two things that I want to ask you the same question. We've heard about this living water and we know that there's a, a void in our life and we know that what can fill that is the living water. And how do we access that? How do we access the Father? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way? Do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And secondly, backing up a little bit, do you believe that Jesus is going to do exactly what he said he is? He says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming back. I'm coming back for you. Do you believe that this morning? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Keep your finger in Romans 5 if you have it there, but turn with me to Acts chapter 2. This is when Peter is preaching at Pentecost. And he's talking to the people about this Jesus whom you crucified. Starting in verse 36, Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And you've probably heard this before, and you're thinking, oh, that makes sense. Those are the same people that were in the crowd that were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And so when Peter says, you're the ones who crucified him, it makes sense. But keep your finger here, turn with me to Romans chapter 5, where we started this morning. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. And as I read this time, I want you to look for the phrase, while we were. 
while we were, those three words. And when you see them, I want you to pay attention to the next few words that come after it. Okay? Each time, when I read through it, when you see the, the phrase, while we were, I want you to pay attention to the phrases that come next after it. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. While we were still weak, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, what happened? What happens after all three of those times in this scripture? Verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, Christ died for us. Verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. The people that we read about in Acts 2 are not the only ones who crucified Christ. Here we read that because we were still weak, because we were enemies of God, and we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was our sins that put Him on the cross as well. So I'm going to ask you the same question that the people asked Peter in Acts 2. What do we do? Knowing that it was our sin that put Christ on the cross, what are we going to do about it? Go back to Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was our sins that crucified Christ. What do we do? Repent. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. To begin this lesson, we ask the question, why did Jesus come at the time that he did? And that's an interesting question, but I want to take that a step further and ask, when will Jesus come again? And I can tell you two things about that question. The first is, I don't know. The second is, I don't know when Jesus is coming, but I know I'm going to be ready. This morning, I hope you've listened to the words of Christ. I hope you've considered the offer that He's given to you. I hope you believe what He's saying and hope you obey Him. This morning, if you want to become a Christian, if you want to know and you want to have the assurance of where your eternal life is going to be spent, you can come now and you can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you've already become a Christian, but somewhere along the line you stopped listening to God, you stopped considering the offer that He's given to you, you can come now and we'll pray for you and we'll be there for you as a family. If you need anything, come now as we